things that happen almost every time I travel as a pastor, and people know that I'm a pastor and they know me, I get asked the questions they don't want to ask other pastors. Or I get uh, given situations in the church, and um, many of my friends are uh, elders or pastors in the PCA. Um, And uh, I got an interesting one this week. Well, I had a bunch this week, but the one that was most interesting to me this week is uh, someone said to me, um, hey, Kuiper, in the in the Old Testament, like Abraham, like we read Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does that necessarily mean? Did it mean that Abraham uh, believed God, but he had to be perfect? He had to follow all of these things and he didn't even know the name of Jesus. Did he know that God was a trinity? Did he know that there was Father, Son and Holy Spirit? What did he know and how did he claim it? And, and, how, and how, when did it change in some sense? And, and I thought, well, that's interesting because that's exactly what we're dealing with here, right? We're dealing with a people, a people that claim to know God, to be his chosen people, and every aspect of their life was directed by the word and the covenant of God. And so I titled the sermon this morning, A Fall from Grace, because um, when we get to chapter 10, verse 5, we have really a, kind of a summary statement and Paul's been doing this. He'll make these points. He'll answer these questions. And then he'll summarize, what do we have to say? But now what do we think about this? Um, and so he is, he is summarizing what we have already seen uh, through chapter 9. Um, in chapter 9, 1 to 5, uh, Israel has this privilege as God's people. Uh, Romans chapter 8 said there's nothing going to separate us from the love of God. What happened to Israel then? They were his people. In verses 6 to 13, he's like, it's not because God was unfaithful to his promises. And he, and he gets to verse 6, and, it, and it, I've said this every week, it is a key to us understanding, not just chapter 9, but really 9 all the way through 11, when he says it's not as though the word of God has failed to them. And then he makes this statement, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And then he points to the Old Testament, says there, there was always this remnant. And when you start thinking about that and you read through the Old Testament, you see it, right? Not, not everyone that was circumcised was saved. Not everyone who was born of Abraham was a child of Abraham. And you see Jesus arguing the same thing in the New Testament. So he is going back. Obviously, he has to keep reiterating this. Uh, and as you read 9, 10, and 11, uh, if, you, if you're like me, you're like, didn't you already say this? <laughs> Why are you saying it again? And why are you saying it again? And, and he is emphasizing it because it's so vitally important. Because we'll slip back into thinking it is something that we have done. In verses 14 to 18, they question God's justice. It's like, no, God, is, God has absolutely every right to be merciful and gracious to whomever he wants. Verses 19 to 29, it's not un, but God's not unfair. Um, it's not on God uh, that people are not saved. It is on them. And then verses uh, 30 uh, to 10.4, the one we did a couple weeks ago, um, he says, this is what we conclude. They pursued righteousness. They were zealous for it. But it was a failure because it was not pursued through faith. And so he has contrasted faith and works, God's righteousness and our righteousness um, he has uh, compared and contrasted Christ, living, living with Christ and living with the law. And now he gets to uh, verse 5 of chapter 10, and he's going to summarize some of this teaching. So that's where we are this morning, Romans 10, verse 5. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> 
And you'll find, again, as is typical in this text, Paul is proving his points by using the Old Testament. He's proving his points, and he knows his reader. Like he, he, he's like, uh, I, the, the Jews need to know that it's not some brand new religion, but, but here, is, here is what it was from all times. Uh, verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. It's as if Paul is coming to the uh, end of this section, and he is now... Uh, he has explained what, what was the issue with uh, the Jews and, and it not just kind of putting them down, but then bringing them and saying, uh, this word that you held to, he quotes, he quotes Deuteronomy 30, he quotes Moses, he quotes Isaiah, Ezekiel, and he quotes Joel chapter 2, right? All these Old Testament books. And he says uh, three times in this passage, uh, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and so we have to make sure when we do that, as, as Christian people, if we point out why these other religions or these other ways fail, we just, we just can't leave it there. We always have to say, but today is a day of salvation. Call on the name of the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. And so it was interesting, this conversation I was having with these two guys about people who were Christians in the Old Testament, even they wouldn't use the term Christians. I was like, the Old Testament had the same. It was, put your trust in the Lord. Turn from your wicked ways and put your trust in the Lord. Believe on the Lord and you will be saved. Now I call it a fall from grace. And uh, it's kind of an interesting title for me because um, I, I often think that if you are in the grace of God, that you can't leave it. That, that if, if you have rested in His grace, if you have been saved by His grace, then He will hold you to His side. But we think of Israel in that sense of a fall from grace, right? This, the whole multitude gets brought out of Egypt. The whole multitude gets brought into the promised land. Uh, and, and, and they're in some sense in God's grace as a community, but then they fall from it. And we use that term with each other, like I've, I've fallen from their good graces. Um, and there is a sense that God's grace is common. We call it uh, common grace. 
and uh, special grace or saving grace. Common grace, the sun shines on everybody. Common grace, the rain falls on the wicked and on the righteous, right? There's this common grace of God uh, that, that is even in, in, embedded in the heart and mind of a human being, that they have some sense of what is right and wrong. But, but here there was this special relationship and, and how did they fall from it? Now, I told Tammy I wanted to make this message the simplest that I've ever preached at Three Rivers. You can tell me if it's not at the end. Um, but <laughs> I want it to be the simplest because it is a simple message. And, and I don't know, maybe preachers sometimes think we want to make something that's simple and we want to make it seem really complex and hard and so people will only come to us to read the Bible. I don't know, but the gospel's simple but it's also deep. It's simple. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord, if you profess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. It's simple. And the apostle's not saying, you know, in, in this text, you, you don't, and it was Moses' word saying, you know, the, the word is in your mouth. You you don't have to go up to the heavens and to the mountains and, and have some special experience and try to figure it out. You, oh, Jews, are, are, you're saying it. You're reciting it. You're, 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 you're reading it. it, it it's, it's, in your, it's right here. You don't, you don't need to go down into the abyss and dig and big. It, it's right here. Our gospel is simple. And it's the same. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I took my daughter Anna a few years ago when we uh, moved to St. Louis. Um, she's probably, uh, it's funny, sometimes my kids watch, and uh, they were watching a couple weeks ago when I talked about Luke's calf muscles, so I immediately got text messages uh, when I get home. Who knows, Anna might be watching. Boys, if you're watching, you know, I'm sorry, but this is true, Anna was the best natural athlete in the family. She just picked things up like that just just amazing she would go from not shooting a basketball uh, for months during volleyball season to running on the court and making three-pointers just natural uh athlete and um, we had moved from tupelo to st louis and in tupelo there wasn't a lot of volleyball and so had to travel a bit to find anybody we were kind of excited uh she's going to get to play some really good volleyball so I took her for a weekend of tryouts with all these different travel teams and the clubs in St. Louis. And um, of course, being the dad and that being my princess, right? I'm like, she's, she's the best, right? She's, she's, she's the best, okay? So uh, y'all should be fighting over her and we'll see what kind of offers you have, you know, for my daughter to play, uh, to be the setter on your team. Uh, it was the second or the third tryout I went to and she was outstanding. Now, I know she's my girl. She was the best in the gym. Like, Tammy wasn't there. I told Tammy, I'm like, man, Tammy, she's blocking. She's serving aces. She's passing. Uh, she's doing serve-receive. I said, in, in everything, every aspect of the game, she is outstanding. There are three coaches who had their backs to the girls the whole time. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, good job, honey. Good job. Wow. <laughs> and these three coaches, they pretty much decided their team. It was part of the rules of the league that you had to have open tryouts. 
Um, and I found this out later, you know. But I'm like, why is she giving her all here when nobody's watching? Now, there's a point to this. I believe that's what the Jews felt. And that may be what you feel at times. Why am I going all out? Why have I given up this or given up that or don't do this? Everybody else does this and they seem to do fine. Why am I doing this, oh Lord? If you're not watching. Or if you're watching, have you not seen what I've done? I don't know about you, but most of us at some point in our life have really tried to win someone's love or win someone's approval. Uh, sacrificing, giving, serving, uh, and, and feeling like you've, you've done your best and then they change the rules or it's just not enough. And I think that that's the summary here of Israel. It, it, it's as if we have been your people, we have stayed true. When he lists in chapter 9 all the things that they had and all the things that they did, um, they're like, well, why not us? And more importantly, why them? Fall from grace. Uh, the sermon in the sentence I don't know if it makes a lot of sense or not, but it says knowing, memorizing, even trying your best to keep the law of God, it does not guarantee salvation. And I, I just think we that, that has to be a simple message that we understand, right? We, we come into church, we bring our kids to church to teach them to be good kids or to fix this or fix that or change our behavior. And it subtly creeps in that that is why God accepts us. That is why we belong to him. Because we have done this. Um, our righteousness as Christians comes from Jesus. It is given to us freely by his grace. But our righteousness that comes from Jesus wants to push out every other form of it. Every other form of righteousness. Let me explain it this way. Um, I would never want to be a teenager again, and I would especially never, ever want to be in middle school, unless, of course, I worked in the library with Tammy. But, you know, other than that, I would never want to be in middle school. I remember, I remember those feelings. And we moved every two years when I was a kid. And I would come into a brand new school, and that new school had its own system of righteousness. Now, they didn't call it that, but it had its own system of value. How would I be valued? I saw this with my son. When we moved from California, he had his hair spiked with gel in it, right? Uh, two or three weeks into Mississippi, he, uh, he had his hair uh, just kind of long and shaggy, and he was wearing camo to school, right? In this environment, righteousness looks differently. And for me to feel righteous, for me to feel I have some value, for me to feel that I'm, I'm a worthy human being is going to have a different system. Right? And I say, when you go to middle school, uh, it, you're more obvious about it. People will uh, judge you by what you wear, how much you weigh, what sport you play, are you any good at it, who likes you. Right? And, 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 it, and it changes 
right? But adults, we do the same thing. Kids, I got bad news for you. Adults do the same thing. What kind of car do you drive? Where'd you go to school? What's your vocation? Right? I remember coming out, remember coming out one day, and one of my kids like, Dad, you're really going to wear that? Like, no, of course not. I was just putting it on uh, to show you what stupid people wear. <laughs> right? What were they saying? Dad, you're stepping into a realm of righteousness, and you're not going to cut it with that outfit. It happens when preachers gather together. We have a preacher righteousness. How big is your church? How many conversions did you get? What's your building look like? Right? I mean, it, 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 it just creeps into us. And the beauty of the gospel is our God says, oh, all of that, it, it brings stress, shame. It brings division in churches. People judge each other. Right? And, and, and we do it. Adults, we just get better at hiding it because we're a little bit ashamed that it still exists. But we do it. And the Jews did it by following all of these rules. And so it was very hard for them to see that instead of loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul, I was actually loving myself with all my heart, mind, and soul. And, and I was using this law of God to, to build myself up in a community. And here's what's really bad, is I'm using this law of God to avoid God. I, 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 I so, I'm so strict about following it that I'm frustrated if someone doesn't follow it as well as me and their business is doing better than me. That doesn't make sense, God. Are you not watching me? Right? But we keep it so that we can avoid that part of our service where Justin gets up here and says, how have you sinned against the Lord? Where is your righteousness lacking? Or where is the righteousness that you have longed for? Uh, where is it pushing out? The righteousness of Christ. So, um, he talked two weeks ago. We talked about it being the cornerstone, and it was like, "What are you going to do with Christ? He's either going to be a stumbling block for you, or he's either going to be the cornerstone." Um, so, I want to just work through these verses, kind of explaining the, the whole flow of thought. The first thing that he says is that there was a, and again, it's it's a summary. Is they failed to grasp the demands of the law. So, when he says, "What does Moses say?" He's He's talking about uh, Moses in the law. What does the Old Testament say? So we talk about Moses, it'd be the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. What does he say? And it's interesting, they, they, they don't get this, but he says the, the, the righteousness based on the law says just this. Uh, the person who does the command shall live by them. Now, that, that can be taken in, in several ways, but, but in the most simplest way, he says, if, if, if you are going to only look at the law of God, its regulations, then you're going to have to keep it all. Because if you break one part of it, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. And, and so you have to live by it. It, it. it controls your life. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you, you really think that by following God's law, you have made yourself righteous. 
And he says, let me just tell you, what you've done is, is you have not grasped the demands of it. And so Jesus takes these demands of the law in very simple ways in the Sermon on the Mount. says, yeah, you say you don't murder, but do you have hatred or anger in your heart towards your brother? That's the same thing. Right? He, he says the, 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 the law, it, you, you can't be saved by following it. In verse uh, 6, who is sin, who will go down? We've already talked about that. Um, in James chapter 2, he says the same thing. Basically, James is saying, you know, a 90% is not good enough. Um, they failed to grasp the law. That the law was designed to show us the God who loves us, to show us his purity. The law was designed to point us uh, uh, in, in areas where we need growth, forgiveness, uh, it was to give us a guide to live by, right? We were to, we were to live by it, but it was not our life. Uh, it was to be the path, the direction for us. Um, and so they failed to grasp that. But then I would say they also just failed in verse 9. They failed to see the simplicity of the message. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved they failed to see it was it was quite quite simple jesus is lord i surrender jesus is lord now he's not talking about salvation by some slogan right repeat these words after me repeat these words after me you repeat these okay good good did you say the words because those words are magic um no he and he goes on to explain it like this, this idea that what comes out of your mouth, and Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 15. Remember, the, the disciples are eating with unwashed hands. Now, if you raise boys, don't ever let them read Matthew 15 because mom will say, did you wash your hands before dinner? Like, nope, Jesus said we don't need to. You read Matthew 15, mom? The disciples were eating with unwashed hands, and the Pharisees like, yuck! Look at those filthy fishermen. They got fish stank all over their hands and they're eating, right? And Jesus says, oh, don't you know it's not what comes into the mouth that defiles. It's what comes out, right? And, and they were talking about food laws and purity laws. And, and he's saying that, that that's not what makes you pure. He goes, what, what comes out of the mouth? What, what the mouth speaks betrays the heart. Now, again, as we get older, sometimes we don't say what we think. In fact, I'm quite impressive when it comes to not saying what I think. I'll whisper to Tammy on occasion. I was thinking of this, and she just looks at me like, who are you? <laughs> right? I was thinking of this. I thought this would be funny. No, Mark, that would not have been funny. Only to you, right? Um, so he's not saying that, you know, the actual saying of it, but he's like, what comes out in your thoughts? But for many of us, what do we say? He said, it's, 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 it's simple. Will you confess? Uh, and so that's the last part, this failure to confess. Verses 9 to 13, look at all this. It's, it's all kind of purposeful. Verse 9, because or for, if you confess with your mouth, not claim, but confess as though someone was called before a courtroom. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? So that is, a, that is a creedal confession in a very early form. When we read our confessions of faith and the 
the different creeds. Um, we, are, we are, in some sense, summarizing the truths of Scripture. And so this, is, this form is put in here three times that he's pulled it out of the Old Testament. It's this idea that we confess what is true. Um, we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart. Um, and those two things have to be bound together. Right? Our, our God would tell the Israelites, quit bringing in meaningless sacrifices. Right? He says, I don't even want your feasts. I don't want this because your heart's far from me. Right? So we all know that as human beings. Right? We, we hate insincerity. Right? We hate de- uh, uh, deception. You know? I really love you, honey. Right? And then what's going to follow that? <laughs> I really like this, but... <laughs> right? So you really don't like this, right? Um, and, and so the, the mouth confesses what the heart believes. What we believe in our heart comes out through our speech. Uh, he says that in verse 10, verse 11. The scripture says you won't be put to shame. Verse 12, then he brings it, broadens it out. There's not a distinction between the Jew and Greek. Why? Verse 12, for the same Lord is the Lord of all. And he bestows riches on all who call him. Verse 13, because everyone who calls on his name will be saved. What is he saying? It's an intelligent faith. It lays hold of Christ as crucified and resurrected. You can't be separating your confession from your faith. Um, And so this fall from grace, uh, is it possible? Well, we know that there are seasons of God's people and there's a season of the whole um, where they turn away. We know that Paul says in Galatians 3, he said, you've started with the Spirit and now you're going back to the law, right? So there's that sense of a people uh, resting in grace but then being drawn back into a salvation by works. Um, but for us, and I said, I want it to be simple. <laughs> Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? What does your mouth confess? Does it confess Jesus as Lord or does your mouth confess those who know you best and even to yourself? No, I really believe that I am Lord. Money is Lord. Pleasure is Lord. Football is Lord. The state. You find a Autocratic states, they, they hate Christians. Why? Because the Christian will not say the state is Lord. We will not say Caesar is Lord. Your company, your family. Who is Lord of your life? I love in the Lord of the Rings. Um, I haven't quoted Tolkien in a while, so that's, that's okay. Um, but even the title, Lord of the Rings. Who is the Lord of the Rings? In that whole series, who's the Lord of the Rings? Well, it's uh, Sauron. Sauron is the Lord of the Ring. and In fact, uh, Gandalf, as he's talking to Saruman, which always frustrated me why they have those two with the same name. Just think Saruman is the man, okay? That's, that's how you remember Going forward, Sarah Man is the man, right? Sarah Man is was uh, was Gandalf's superior, right? He was this great wizard, and he's trying to convince Gandalf to come and join Sauron. 
Come and join Sauron. And then this, this amazing word, this is what Gandalf says to Saruman. There is only one Lord of the ring, and he does not share power. There's only one. And oh, Christian, to be a Christian, you say, there is only one Lord of my life. There is only one Lord, and it is Jesus Christ. And, and the phrase after that really, it, it just makes it deeper. I believe he is Lord, and I also believe that he was raised from the dead by God. And it's beautiful Trinitarian. There is faith in the work of the Spirit in giving us what Christ has earned. There is the Father accepting, accepting what Jesus did and raising him from the dead. And we take time in our church to delve into all of that, right? And someone says, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I'm like, are you sure? Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means? It means Jesus is to be Lord above everything and everyone else, above yourself, above your spouse, above your kids, above your country, right? above your political party, above all those things, Jesus is to be Lord. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I watched my daughter's tryouts because I loved her. Actually, I still do, but at that point, I, I, I loved her. She was mine. Um, I wanted her to play right. I wanted her to enjoy the game. I wanted her to feel God's pleasure as she enjoyed the game, as she helped others. And, um, but I didn't watch her in order to make her my daughter. And, and Christian, as you work a, a, a life through the law of God and His leading, I, I think that's the way you should look at it. God has called me to be His. He has washed me. He has cleansed me. He has absolutely given me His law, His word. It is a guide. It is like a schoolmaster. It is a path for me to walk into. It tells me what is right is wrong. Uh, it, it leads me in repentance. It sets the bar of who I want to become and what, what, uh, what, what my God is like and how I'm to look like Him. It sets all of those things. But as I perform, I am performing in front of a Father who loves me and has already accepted me. He has put me on His team and it has been written with the blood of His own Son and it cannot be changed. And I rest in that. I rest in that. Let's pray. Father, um, my desire would be that all here and all who watch would confess with their mouth that indeed Jesus is Lord and Jesus is my Lord. It would appear in the scriptures, Father, that the folks that it's hardest for are the ones that are really good people. Those of us who have really tried and not done terrible things, it, it's, it's, it is harder for us, Father, because we... We tend to think we don't need as much saving as maybe someone else. And we forget. Lord, we set these elements aside, this bread and this wine, that as we take and eat and drink, Father, that we are confessing to the world, Jesus is Lord 
of everything. He is everything to me. He is all of my hope. He is all of my righteousness. Oh, I long to perform well for my Father, to give Him joy, but never to secure my place. Help us to understand and decipher these things, Father. We thank you so much for your patience with your people. That you, O oh Spirit, are patiently working out our salvation in us. As we read and study and pursue, you are showing us more and more uh, the breadth and the depth of the love that Christ has for his people. Father, we be pleased now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That we are a grateful people. That we are a humble people. That we are saying with our mouths as we eat the bread and drink the cup that Christ is my righteousness. That he is my all in all. That he is sufficient. And that we love you with all our heart, mind, and our soul. Will you help us in these endeavors, Holy Spirit? Amen.